While they're heading out, while you guys are looking for the nearest box of tissues, let me uh, go ahead and update you um, on what's happening with our our brothers and sisters in Shadrach and and in general in Haiti. Um, as you know, we we cast the need uh, last week to uh, to come help what the the work that's going on down there in the wake of Hurricane Matthew. Um, we had uh, we just shared some plans with you and some ways that you could help. One was financially in terms of giving uh, to the need for relief, and we talked about the great overwhelming need uh, that there is in the community, and that we said that we would match that. Just wanted to update you a little bit. You have figures in your bulletin, but those have changed just a little bit, even in the last couple minutes. So collectively, uh, we've raised $3,570, $3,570. And so as a church, we're going to match that. So this week, we'll be sending... to the relief work down there. So thank you, thank you, thank you, thank you um, for joining us in that. It's a huge blessing. We're going to talk about what it means to be a blessing. And I'm so so thankful that I get to talk to a group of people that in, in so many ways just they... You guys live out what we're going to talk about. So I'm not talking about anything that's foreign to you guys, but thank you for being a blessing uh, to me, to us as a leadership team, and to our brothers and sisters there. Um, we're also planning to send a team down, as John mentioned, on November 7th. It looks like that that team has, will have the opportunity to go to our brothers and sisters in Shadrach. Um, we weren't sure of that before, but it looks like that is um, the case and a strong possibility at this point. Um, we're going to meet afterwards, like John said, I just I would like us to spend time praying that God is sending us there. Just because the door is open doesn't mean we should necessarily walk through it. I think it's important for us to consider what God wants us to do, not necessarily what's on our hearts immediately in the moment to do. And so that may very well mean that he confirms that we should go to, to Shadrach, but who knows what's in the mind of our Lord. So um, I, I want to give him space to be able to speak to us. So we're going to do that in the meeting a little bit. And we'll also answer some questions both about the November trip, which we need to finalize details on, as well as the February trip. So if you're interested in the February trip, which is our standard kind of going to to visit them and and doing many of the things that we normally do in a relational way, and you want to hear about that or at least just get some information about that, you can come to the meeting as well. We'll probably address that first and then let you guys go before we move on to the rest of the stuff. Vorten Bridge has been putting out a whole bunch of information um, on their website and on Facebook with video updates from James, um, who's their, um, one of their directors, and he's been in country leading the, the charge of, of distributing the, uh, the uh, need and the aid uh, primarily to the south. So it gives you just a, a, maybe a brief taste of what's going on down there. Thankfully, Aid has started to flow into the communities, um, and really what I said last week still continues to hold true that 410 Bridge, because of kind of the strategic nature of uh, building leadership councils and uh, having staff in place that uh, help direct each of those communities down there, uh, many of the large organizations have come to count on 410 Bridge um, for the the know-how of how to go into these communities and who to talk to and how to distribute these needs. And so um, because they're on the front line, we're on the front line because we get to partner with them. So, And I just, just 
Uh, on their behalf as well, um, Rob and our, our partner coordinator just wanted me to thank you personally on her behalf uh, for your support as well. She's just been amazed at how quickly um, God's allowed us to mobilize, both in terms of giving 10000 to the water need, now 7000 towards aid, and um, organizing a, a team to go down there so quickly has just been amazing. So thank you guys for, for that again. Um, huge blessing to me as well as to them. So if you have any questions about that or, you know, come, come to the meeting downstairs afterwards, we, we'd be happy to answer all those things. Okay? Sound good? All right. So we, um, if you know, we've been uh, in a series that we've been calling for the good of the garden state. We've, this is our sixth week so far. We've been going through, um, really asking the question, what does it look like for the garden state, that is New Jersey, uh, to become the kind of place that God intends, that God dreams for it to be? And we know, if, if, if you've read through God's story from beginning to end, a day is coming um, when God will make earth look as it is in heaven. When he will literally, it, it, when Jesus comes and returns back to earth, uh, a second time will come in and usher in God's kingdom in uh, an incredible way that, that sin and death and sickness and everything that we associate with the brokenness of this world will on that day come undone. Every sad thing will come untrue. It, what a glorious day that's going to be, right? Um, it's a day that I've been longing for. Um, and I know many of you have as well, and, and we, we long for it collectively together. And, and because Jesus came and rose from the dead after three days in the grave, we, we know that that day is coming. We can, we can be sure of it because he said it was coming. And Jesus always keeps his word. Um, but that day is not here yet. And so from, from this day until that day, God has put a people in place not just to be a, a church in a community that kind of exists for its own good, uh, not just a, a church that exists for the benefit of one another, but a church that's planted into a community to make the community look as though it will look in the future. So we, we in, in many ways, get to be a foretaste of what's coming. It's kind of like a, a movie. You know, you go to see a movie, and then um, they play these trailers for the upcoming movie, and, and so you, you get a taste of what's going to happen through the, the trailer of the movie. The, the bad ana- part of that analogy is that the trailer is always better than the movie, right? So you, they give away all the, the good lines and, and everything. And, so, and then you watch the movie you go, it wasn't nearly as good as the trailer, right? Um, but hopefully we know that, uh, that we are a, a bad, <laughs> in, in many ways, a poor representation of what's coming. Um, and yet we're a representation nonetheless. And so we've been asking the question, what does it look like for us to, to be the kind of place that exists for the good of the garden state? Because we want the garden state to look as though Jesus were here, because he is. He's in you and he's in me and he's in us collectively. And so we're asking the question, what is he doing in this day, in this time? And so we've, we've been looking at that question through the lens of six specific aspects or themes uh, that we've been talking about, six ideas And those are these, reconciliation, generosity, justice, hospitality. We talked about communion last week. People who are pressing into into community, pursuing relationships, and putting an end or stop to relationships that are breaking apart. 
And then today we're going to talk about blessing. What does it mean to be a community of blessing? And, and in many ways, what it means to be a blessing is kind of a, an, an encapsulation of all the other things that we've talked about. Because if there were a community that practiced reconciliation and generosity and justice and hospitality and community, it would be a blessing, wouldn't it? I mean, if you knew of a community that, was, that had all of those things saturated into it, you'd go, I would do anything possible to be part of that kind of community. And the reason that you would want to do it is because it's a blessing. It would be a blessing to you. It would be a blessing to others. So let me ask you, just as we start, what do you, what do you think of? What comes to mind when you hear um, that term of what it means to be a blessing? Okay. Yeah, you're, you're spending time with them. There's a proximity there. Okay, it gives life. Yeah. It's a gift. Okay. Yeah, it's a, a gift to be given away. Anytime you give a gift, it's going to cost you something, right? So to be a blessing means it's going to cost something. Yeah, you're fulfilling a need. So you see a need and you're fulfilling that need or, or you're trying to at least lessen that need. Yeah, so in your, you're a blessing as God would be a blessing if he were in the room. And so you're, um, because we're filled with him, by His Spirit, we get to be His presence in the lives of other people. That's, I mean, think about that for a second. That's a tremendous work, right? To know that, like, because, I mean, oftentimes people are like, where was God when? Where was He when this happened? Where was He when that happened? No, if, if, if there is a member of His church there who's filled with His Spirit, He is there. He's present. Where even two or three of those kinds of people are gathered, what does the scripture say? There he is also, right? Incredible work to know that we're actually part of God's presence in the world. Okay, let me flip this, the script a little bit. What, what do you think of then when you hear the word blessed? What does it mean to be not a blessing, but blessed? Okay, it's a miracle. Yeah, any, anytime God works, it's a miracle, right? Um in ordinary ways as well as extraordinary ways, right? What's that? Okay. Your prayers are answered if you're blessed. Or it's a blessing to have your prayers answered. (laughs) What else? You're filled? Okay. Yeah, you have more than what you need. And so it overflows from your need onto others' need, right? That's our, our desire as a community is that we would be that kind of community, right? That's what the gospel does in us. It produces so much blessing in us that we have to pour it out on others. Yeah, yeah. So being a blessing, blessing with our words as well as our actions. Oftentimes, people, I think in our culture just today, I think um, people find it much easier to be a blessing with their actions than their words. It's, it's, it's so much easier to bake, to bake a, a, you know, a batch of cookies and leave it on someone's doorstep than to step over their threshold and, and speak words of blessing into their life. And I'm not saying that the cookies are bad. If you want to bake cookies and drop them off at my door, I'm here all week. So, <laughs> But it's hard, isn't it, to, to be people who speak blessing as well as give it in our actions. 
So we need to know how to do that. Yeah. Yeah, just the gift of the day itself is, is to be blessed, right? We know that to be true. If, I mean, if you know the story, you know that uh, our rebellion against God in the very beginning, God promised that we would receive for that walking away of his leadership and his relationship, uh, that the consequence for that would be death. And the fact that God doesn't give death immediately, but allows us, allows the first, you know, our first human parents, but, but then collectively since then for us to have life continually day after day, that in and of itself is to be blessed. We don't often think of it that way because we take it for granted. But the fact that the sun rose this morning and you took breaths of air that God placed into your lungs is a blessing. See, I think when we think of, of, I mean, those two words are connected, to be a blessing and to be blessed. Uh, But we often think that we have to be blessed in a certain way in order to be a blessing to others. So if, if, if the blessing doesn't happen to me in the way that I think that it should happen, then I, I struggle with being a kind of person that would open my hands to give blessing to other people because I, I feel like I need to withhold blessing for myself. See, we, all of us want to be people that are blessed. It's in our DNA, actually. It's the way that God designed us to live would be that, that, that we would receive blessing and then pass blessing on to someone else. And, and one of the most famous passages that talks about what it, it could look like to be blessed is in Jeremiah 29. How many of you are familiar with the most famous verse of Jeremiah 29? Which is Jeremiah 29.11, right? It says, For I know the plans I have for you, declares the Lord, plans to prosper you and not to harm you, plans to give you hope and a future. If you're like a, a college student, this is somewhere on your dorm room, right? This is like the, every college student's life verse. Like just, you know, prosper me, give me a job, like uh, give me a spouse, you know? We, 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 and, and so we, we, we think of being blessed as equaling God having a plan for us, having hope in a future, having prosperity. Now that sounds great. I mean, who wouldn't like that, you know? I mean, let's, let's pass some of that around. Do you know the context, though, in which God spoke those words to his people? Yeah. It was at a time when they seemed like they were not blessed. It was at a moment in their history where, where, where they would look back on, on their, their collective story as a people and, and if they were to do the comparison game of like every moment in their historical narrative, they would look at their present situation and go, if we compare this situation to every other situation, we would come to the conclusion that we're not blessed. And because we're not blessed, we can't be a blessing to others. And yet God had something radical to say to them about what it meant to be blessed so that they could be a blessing. And this is what he says. And this is what we're going to look at today is Jeremiah 29. And we're going to start in verse 1. We'll jump down to 4 and then we'll go to 14. So I don't know what page that is in the Bibles that you guys have, but 545. There you go. So if you want to look it up, you can do that. It's going to be on the screen as well. But it says this. This is the text of the letter that the prophet Jeremiah sent from Jerusalem to the surviving elders among the exiles and to the priests 
the prophets and all the other people Nebuchadnezzar had carried into exile from Jerusalem to Babylon. Verse 4, this is what the Lord Almighty, the God of Israel, says to all those I carried into exile from Jerusalem to Babylon. Build houses and settle down. Plant gardens and eat what they produce. Marry and have sons and daughters. Find wives for your sons and give your daughters in marriage so that they too may have sons and daughters. Increase in number there. Do not decrease. Also, this is where it gets, the, it gets good. Seek the peace and prosperity of the city to which I have carried you into exile. Pray to the Lord for it because if it prospers, you too will prosper. Yes, this is what the Lord Almighty, the God of Israel says. Do not let the prophets and diviners among you deceive you. Do not listen to the dreams you encourage them to have. They are prophesying lies to you in my name. I have not sent them, declares the Lord. This is what the Lord says. When 70 years are completed for Babylon, I will come to you and fulfill my good promise to bring you back to this place. He's talking about Jerusalem. For I know the plans I have for you, declares the Lord. Plans to prosper you and not to harm you. Plans to give you hope and a future. Then you will call on me and come and pray to me. And I will listen to you. You will seek me and find me when you seek me with all your heart. I will be found by you, declares the Lord. And will bring you back from captivity. I will gather you from all the nations and places where I have banished you, declares the Lord. And will bring you back to the place from which I carried you into exile. See, here's what's going on. Jerusalem was, uh, or Israel as a nation was existing for many years, and uh, they were at war with many of the nations around them, and God said that if you continue to seek after false gods and uh, continue not to, to do justice, remember we talked about that, caring for the poor and the marginalized that are among you, then I'm, I'm going to come in and discipline you because you're my kids and I love you. And they didn't believe him. And there were many prophets that came along and said, no, if you don't turn, if you don't come back to him and, and honor him in your ways, he, he's going to discipline you in a way that you're not going to like. And ended up, what ended up happening is that the Babylonian Empire, which was the strongest, most dominant force in the world at the time, came into Jerusalem and conquered it. This happened in 586 B.C. for you Bible nerds, if you want to know the date. The actual date in history. They came in and they, they didn't just conquer it, but they, it, what they ended up doing was carrying off all the, the upper classes, all the leaders in the community of Israel into exile and forced them to live in Babylon. Does this sound like anything that was part of their history before? You should be hearing Egypt at this point, right? So he, they come in and they carry off all the elders and the prophets and the priests and the court officials and the artisans, the very best and brightest in, in Israel as a community. They carry them off and say, you're now going to live with us instead of over there. And the reason that they were doing this is because by taking the best and brightest and forcing them to live in Babylon, they expected that eventually they would lose what made them uniquely Jewish. They would, they would lose their, their cultural heritage. They would lose their beliefs and their traditions. In other words, eventually they would become like Babylonians. 
And because Israel knew that this is what the nation of Babylon was up to, because this, is, this was kind of their, their modus operandi, they would go into these nations and this is what they would do over and over and over again, they refused to move into the city. So when Babylon comes in, they take them captive, they bring them to Babylon, they go, no, 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 we're not going to live in the city. We're going to live outside the walls. We want nothing to do with these evil people. God is going to judge them. He's going to save us. We want nothing to do with them. They're sinners. We're righteous. We're going to hold on to Him. They're going to go to hell. And they even had prophets that, that reinforced this message because the, what the prophets were coming in to do was saying, hey, look, don't worry. I know things look bad, but God is going to come back. Just a couple years He's going to come back. He's kind of mad right now, but if we live rightly, if we don't mix with these people that are pagans and and foreign to Him, and just try not to get too tainted by this place and get too much sin on us, if we just isolate from the the, the general culture and do our own thing in our own place, on our own day, in our own building, then we'll be okay. Let's just hold on just a couple years. He's coming back for us. Does this sound like any message that's generally pervasive in our culture. Uh, See, I'm convinced that this has been oftentimes the message of the church. Don't get any sin on you. Don't mix too deeply with the people that are around you. Don't get to know them too much because Jesus is coming back. It's just going to be a year or two. Just hold on. He'll be back soon. And God sends... Israel a letter saying, no. I have a plan for how you should relate to those who have brought you into exile. And it's nothing that you're hearing currently. But it's a message that you deeply need to understand. See, um, there's, there's a few different ways that we can relate to those that are around us in our, in our culture around us. Uh, one of the ways that we can choose to relate to our culture is just to say, we want to isolate from them. We're just gonna we're gonna go into our own box in our own way. We're gonna let them live their life. God will judge them. He'll bless us, and we'll be a blessing to ourselves. We're just gonna hunker down a few more years. Another way to to do it is just to say, well, the differences between our culture and their culture they're not that vast. So let's just assimilate in. Let's succumb to it. Let's just become Babylonians in a sense. Another way is that you can say, no, we're not going to isolate from it and we're not going to succumb to it. We are going to rage against it. We're going to tell those sinners how bad they are. And we're going to do it in every platform we can, especially when we don't have to do it face-to-face and we can do it online when no one has to know our identity. And we're just going to rage against them and tell them how awful they are and tell them how right we are. And God comes to Israel and he says, I don't, that's not, I don't want you to relate in any of those ways. I want you to be a blessing. I want you to bless and honor and lift up those that have carried you into exile. Is that shocking? That should be, uh, that should be really shocking to us. And here's how he starts out. He says, don't isolate from these people integrate, build homes, move, in other words, move into the neighborhood. In verse 5 and 6, he says, build houses, settle down, plant gardens, eat what they produce, marry your sons and daughters, 
find wives for them so that then they can marry and then have more children. Don't decrease in number, but increase. In other words, you're going to be here for a while. It's not going to be two or three years. In fact, he says it's going to be at least 70, which would outlast most of the people that he's talking to. You're going to be here and so are your kids. And so what he's saying is, don't, don't live as migrants. Don't live as immigrants that are just passing through, using this place for what it has to offer, but not settling down here. No, make this place your home. You know, you were once part of a people and it felt like you were at home because everyone believed exactly the way that you believe and now they don't. You used to live in a place where people had the same beliefs as you, where they acted the same way as you, where they had the same values as you do and now you're surrounded by people that worship false gods. I mean, talk about a change of, you know, of course here. This is your new home. Settle here. Raise your family here. Live here. Now, now you think, what in the world does this have to say to us today? I mean, this sounds very specific to, to the Israelites in that day. And the answer is that First Peter, when he begins to address the church, do you know the way that he, you know what he calls the church when he addresses it? He says this in First Peter 1. This is his letter to the churches in the region that he's talking to. Peter, that's him, an apostle of Jesus Christ, to God's elect exiles. Scattered throughout the provinces of Pontus, Galatia, Cappadocia, Asia, and Bithynia, who have been chosen. Do you hear what he's saying? If you're a believer in Jesus, you're in exile. You've been chosen to be a, a, a resident alien in a, in a foreign land. See, you're a resident. You're, you're not just a tourist, but you've made a home somewhere. You've made a place somewhere. You're not just passing through. You're not just here to get out of this place what you possibly can before moving on to the next. You're not, you're not out to make yourself better than those that are around you in the place that you live. No, you, you in a sense, change your, 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 your mailing address. I mean, can you imagine how difficult it must have been for people that have lived generation after generation in Jerusalem, which they believed and, and God had affirmed that it was the, the place in which God dwelled on earth. Can you imagine the pride that they had writing, you know, Mr. and Mrs. John Smith, Jerusalem, send the mail off. I mean, I'm not suggesting they had like mail like we do, but can you imagine the pride that would like in which they sent it out? Like, I get to live in Jerusalem. And then all of a sudden when you send a, a letter to your Aunt Betty, you have to write Babylon instead. That, that's going to mess you up a little bit, right? Oh, Babylon. I mean, it sounds silly, but here, here's, I mean, this is one thing I've noticed in my own heart. When I, uh, I lived in Massachusetts for 18 years before moving off to college, I lived in Philadelphia for eight, and now I've lived in New Jersey for the last 10 and uh, one of the things that I noticed, I, didn't, I wasn't aware of this at the time, but it's not like I was um, upset at living in New Jersey. It's not like I was carried off to New Jersey uh, by, by you New Jerseyans and uh, into exile and forced to live here. Um, but one of the things I noticed when I was traveling to other parts of the country and people would ask me about where I was from, 
I would tell them, I'm from Massachusetts, but I live in New Jersey. Why would I do that? I mean, have you ever done anything like that? You have? Okay, good. Phew. I was worried it was just me. <laughs> Why would you do that? See, I, I think at a deep level, we know the reputation that New Jersey has. And in, and in many ways, at least this is what's happening in my own heart, I didn't want to fully become a New Jerseyan. I didn't want to, like, completely associate myself with New Jersey. I wanted to reserve a little part of my identity, a little piece of who I was for being from a different area of the country and not from New Jersey. I'm with you there, brother. All right. Thank you for confessing that. I appreciate that. Now, I mean, this sounds silly, but here's the, this is the truth. To, To be a resident means that you're willing to be associated with the people without reservation. You're willing to fully associate yourself even with people that you think have a worse reputation than you do. Like Jesus did with us, right? I mean, what was, what was, what was Jesus accused of? Yeah. I mean, can you, can you imagine being the king of heaven the, the one and only unique Son of God who has existed for all eternity, through whom the world was made. I mean, I, it doesn't matter what part of the country you're from. You don't have a resume like that. You can't say, I spoke the world into existence. You just can't do it. Jesus could. And yet when He came and lived among us, what happened? That guy is a friend of sinners. He eats with prostitutes. Does Jesus correct them? No. That should amaze us, right? That he would fully associate himself with the worst among us, though he was the king of heaven, completely giving up every other identity so that he could completely associate himself with you so that He could be your friend, so that He could be your Lord, so that He could be your Savior. That's amazing that God would do that for us. And what He's asking the Israelites and ultimately us to do is, are you willing to be associated with the people that you least like, just like I associated myself with you? See, and and before we get, you know, I mean, one of the first things that comes up when we talk about that is like, well, does that mean that you condone behavior? Like to, to associate yourself with someone, then other people are going to think that you're just like completely, you know, okay with every possible thing that they do. Was Jesus okay with us? Did he say, no, 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 I will love you, but I won't transform you. I, I will love you and I'll just put up with you, but I won't, I won't seek to actually change your heart. No, he, he knew what was best for us. And he knew the place in which he came. And, and so he represented the, the values of the place that he came, but it never stopped him from loving and associating himself with people that were far from God, even those that the, the culture itself would turn away and say, shame on them. Jesus said, I will run to them and associate myself with them. Not so that they can continue in their ways, but the, so that they can discover my ways. 
See, and that's the alien part. We, we, we are to be residents in this place, fully associated with it, but bringing to it a value system that is completely unlike that of our culture. See, we don't succumb, but we bring the, the, the values of our king, the presence of our king into dark and broken and lost places so that they could be mended and whole and healed. And I think, okay, like, well, why, should, why in the world should they settle down then? I mean, this was kind of thrust upon them, right? I mean, there are all these different things going on in, the, in their world, and they never chose to be in the situation that they were in. And yet God says this. This is very interesting. In the very beginning, he says, who, who was the one that brought them into captivity? It was Nebuchadnezzar, right? The most powerful king. And yet God changes the, the language when you get to verse 4 and verse 7 because he says this. This is what the Lord Almighty says. The God of Israel says to all those who, who what? I carried. I carried you into exile. You thought it was the bad people who did it to you. But it was me. And then in verse 7, seek the peace and prosperity of the city to which what? I have carried you into exile. So in other words, I wasn't surprised that this happened to you. I wasn't like, oh my gosh, I can't believe this king is carrying them into exile. I can do nothing about it. No, I was the cause. I was the one who was doing it. And and because I was the one that was doing it, I have a plan for you being there. And that plan is both for you and for them. I'm worried about you both, and I'm using these forces to help both of you discover something about me. See, and there were all kinds of false prophets that were saying things like, well, God is mad at us, and we're here, but one day he's going to love us and bring us back. And God was going, no, because I love you, I've blessed you by bringing you into a place where no one believes like you believe. Isn't that amazing? that God would do that? See, I've heard um, many Christians say things like this, that, you know, things were so much easier when America was a Christian nation. Not that it ever really was. It was things were so much easier when everyone believed like we believe. God must be punishing us. Maybe he's punishing America. That's it. He, he's, he's punishing America for fill-in-the-blank, abortion, gay marriage. I mean, any, pick a topic. He's mad, but maybe if the country repents and goes back to its old ways, then, then we'll get back to living in his good graces again. Hear, hear Jeremiah 29, 11's words in the midst of a nation that's broken. I know the plans I have for you. I have plans to prosper you in in this place, right now, not to harm you. I'm giving you hope and a future, and I'm doing it today. I'm not mad. I'm blessing you, and I'm blessing them, and I'm doing it here and now. Will you see it? Sure, it was easy when you thought everyone believed like you believe. And in many ways, the the covers were over our eyes and God has pulled back the curtains so that we can see what's really going on. He's blessing us. 
And he wants to use us. Now, now let me ask this. What do you think the implications are for us of that? If that's really true, what are, what are the implications for the way that we might live here in South Jersey? Right. Yeah, in a sense, if we believe that God has removed his blessing, it takes away the responsibility of being a blessing. But if you know that God is blessing even in this, that he's using even now, then we can be a blessing regardless of what our external circumstances might look like. It doesn't have to check the box of what we consider to be blessed in order to bless others. They didn't consider themselves blessed. They're going, we didn't ask for this. We're just waiting to get back to the way things used to be. And God's going, no, your, your, your definition of being blessed is totally out of whack. You know me. I'm among you. I'm speaking to you now. And because I'm doing that, that's evidence that I've blessed you so that you can be a blessing to others. You don't have to wait. You don't have to wait for your definition to happen in order to give it away. You can do it today. You can do it now. Anything else? That's a good one. So it's a, it's a blessing to have people that don't believe like you believe. Because, you know, I mean, God wants us to rub off on them, right? I mean, so, to put a fine point on it, I mean, like, so if you're the only Christian at your workplace... And you look around you and go, man, this place is so backwards. The values here are so upside down. Like, how in the world, like, why in the world would God ever put me into this situation? Because he's blessed you. Yeah. He's blessed you to be a blessing. Thank him for it. Yeah. Don't, don't, yeah, don't isolate yourself. Integrate into the culture, into the community, into relationships. You see, I mean, it's against the backdrop of a broken world that the, the glory and the goodness of God actually shines, right? It says a, a, hideous, a city on a hill shouldn't be hidden. Don't put your light under a bowl. I've made you a light so that you could shine in dark places. The only way you'll know you'll shine is when it's dark. <laughs> yeah. And, it, you know, like Jesus said, I'm the light of the world. Looks around and goes, well, you guys got a lot of light, so you don't need me very much right now. No, he was needed at the moment that God sent him. The world needed him. We needed him at the moment that he came. And if God knew what he was doing then, he knows what he's doing now. He knows what he's doing in you. He knows the reasons he's put you in the places that he's put you. So don't hide from it. Don't isolate from it. Don't, don't battle against those he sent you to. Love them, right? And so often we think of New Jersey and we're like, this place is it's crowded and there's too much traffic and there's too many people and I don't like the laws and, and I don't like the gas taxes coming on November 1st because <laughs> I know I've been struggling with that one. But God's going, I know it's crowded. It's crowded because people live there, and I love people. That's the reason I've sent you to this place that's so crowded. There's a reason that, that Camden County, if it were a city, would be larger than Cleveland. What's that? <laughs> yeah, thanks. You knocked my Red Sox out. I really appreciate that. <laughs> I love them anyway. 
It's crowded, yeah, but God loves people. He sent us to a crowded part of the world so that those people would be blessed through us who live there too. I love the way that he puts it in Acts 17. He says, For from one man, that's Adam, the first man, he made all the nations that they should inhabit the whole earth and marked out their appointed times in history and the boundaries of their lands. In other words, he determined when people live and where people live. Why would he do that? Verse 27, God did this so that, I mean, this is no uncertain terms, right? So that they would seek him and perhaps reach out for him and find him, though he's not far from any one of us. See, the reason that God has sent us here is not just to take what we can from the garden state. It's not just to sort of associate ourselves with with the people here, but really sort of despise them when they're not around. It's not just to say, well, I live in New Jersey, but I'm from somewhere else. It's to live here, to reside here, to make the Garden State our home so that others would be near to the good news of Jesus in which God's entrusted us. So that, he w- so that they would be able to taste and see that Jesus is good and that He's from the Father. So and then, he, and then the other thing that God says is, when you do this, don't isolate but integrate. Don't battle against them but bless them. Sacrificially love those that I've sent you to, which is completely shocking because Babylon was Israel's sworn enemy. They were the ones who came in and conquered their armies and looted all their wealth and carried their best and brightest into exile. I mean, can you imagine if another nation did this to America? Would you have a hard time loving that nation if they did it? I mean, let's get more personal. I mean, what if somebody did that to our church? Building. I mean, that's what happened, right? Babylonians, those who didn't believe what the Jewish nation believed, came in and looted and destroyed the temple and carried off all of their wealth, all of their sacred artifacts into Babylon, melted them all down and then constructed new false gods out of them. Man, what, like, like the ridiculous thing, but like what if somebody came in, stole all our sacred artifacts? The projector. <laughs> the sound equipment, you know, your guitar, the coffee. <laughs> we have no coffee. Church is off. <laughs> yeah. And then went through our ranks and said, you're smart, you're wise, you're good at this. We're taking all of you with us. And then God says, when you find out who did this to you, I want you to go and find out where they live. I want you to go and move in right next door to those people that have stolen everything from you. And when you get there, seek their peace and prosperity. To those I've carried you into exile, pray to me for them. Because if they prosper, then you too will prosper. Are you getting how shocking that is? If someone did that to, you, to, to my family, I would hunt them down. 
not for the reasons of prosperity. <laughs> but he's saying, when you've, when, you, when you've located this people, when you've moved inside the walls next door to them, Seek the shalom. Seek the peace of those that are around you. Seek it to such a degree that they would experience peace and wholeness in their relationships, in their wealth, in their leadership, in their health, in their finances, in every area of life. Seek it in such a way that even if they never come to believe what you believe, they would have deep, satisfying happiness and flourishing in every aspect of life. That's radical. That's upside down. See, God is saying, since, since you're my people that I've sent there, I want you to seek that on their behalf for your enemies. And don't just do it like in a public way and then secretly go into your houses and despise them. No, I want you to love them like I love you. And when you do it, pray to me for them that I might actually deliver what you're using your life to to bring about in their midst. See, that's what it means to be a blessing. It's to use your life. Everything that you've got. We talked about this over and over again. Your time, your money, your talent, and your relationship with God. You're standing before Him as a believer in Jesus through prayer to lift others up. Not just those who would bless you, but even those who would do you harm. That's mad. That's, to the world, that seems like madness, doesn't it? And yet, to, to those of us that know Jesus, we know that that's exactly what he did for us. So here's, here's the challenge. This is what I'd like to challenge you with and just for you to consider. What if... This week, what if you intentionally blessed three people this week? Just three. I don't know exactly how many people are in the room right now, but I'm going to, you know, that number times three is going to be a pretty large amount of people. What if you blessed them in word? We talked about before, just a a word of encouragement. Hey, I see you doing this. Just want to let you know it's valued. That you're, you're, uh, someone is, is benefiting from you in this way. Just want to lift you up a little bit and encourage you. In word, in action, in gift, or in prayer. You just ask the Spirit, even right now. Just put one or two people, maybe three, just on my heart right now that I could bless. Word, action, gift, or prayer. So I'm convinced that if, if we were people that asked the Spirit that question continually and didn't just do it one week because Jay told me to, but did it every week because the Spirit empowered us to, uh, South Jersey would be a different place by this time next year. It would be. I know it would be. Uh, Mandy and I were talking about this uh, recently, and she was um, sharing that uh, in her group, she's a physician assistant, she works for a cardiology group, um, the morale in the group is really low right now. It just seems like people are constantly negative, that there's kind of back and forth between the administration and the doctors and the 
mid-level practitioners, and everybody's kind of got their little, like, you know, peace against every, everybody else. And there's a lot of, like, infighting and just resentment and wishing that things would change but not knowing how they would change. And, and what do you do in that situation when it seems like people aren't for one another but they're against one another? And um, as Mandy was praying about that and we were praying together, one of the things that she um, felt like the, that God said to her in the midst of that was, what if as a group you were a blessing to others? And you would experience blessing. And so she, this is kind of new and um, something that she's just doing, um, is is just coming up with basic ways for their group to then show appreciation and expression of thanks and, and gratitude to other people that they're in contact with. So not necessarily doing it to one another, but as a group saying, hey, what if we together did it for others? It sounds like, that principle, right? Be a blessing. And so, um, so they've just started to do this. But the, the thought is, rather than saying, okay, let's figure out ways that we can bless one another, thinking of ways that we together can bless others. Because as we do that, our eyes will then get off what the issues are among us and actually get onto the fact that other people need us. And um, she's floated this idea with people even outside of the group. And they were like, if you guys did that every week, if you just came into a floor and just gave a gift like to all the nurses on that floor and said, hey, we appreciate the work that you do. We know that you work tirelessly for our patients and we just want to thank you for that. What would the reputation of the group be over the course of six months? It'd be amazing, right? And suddenly people start to take pride in being part of this environment rather than saying, oh, I wish I was part of another one. See, and that, that's how you know that you're being blessed is when you start to understand ways of blessing other people, you would not have that thought were it not from the king of blessing who wants to be in relationship with you. I'm convinced that God wants to do this all over the place. All over the place. Uh, And this is the principle. Uh, When Paul was with uh, the elders in Ephesus, these are the people that he had poured his life into for two years to, to help them to get organized and, and on mission and ready for a day when he wasn't going to be there, he goes and he has this one final conversation with them about what their life should look like after he leaves. And this is one of the most important things that he tells uh, these new leaders about the kind of life that they're to live. In Acts 20, verse 35, he says, Look at my life. In everything I did, I showed you that by this kind of hard work, we must help the weak. Remembering the words the Lord Jesus himself said, it's more blessed to give than receive. Do you hear it? It's blessed to give. And the more that you give, the more you understand, the more you get in touch with the fact that you've been blessed. See, it's not wait for God to bless you and then you can be a blessing to others. It's he has blessed you Be a blessing to others and you'll discover all the ways in which God has blessed you. See, that's what he does. That's what Jesus does for us and he wants to do it through us. Does that sound impossible? Hopefully not, but even if it does, I just want to encourage you. He's given us the spirit of Jesus to do it. 
He's given you the power that overcame the grave so that you can be a blessing to those that are around you. That's amazing power. Power that created the universe. Power that overcame death is the same power that gives you the ability to lay your life down for those that are around you. I, I, I hope you believe that. I, I want to believe it. So let's look to God in prayer and ask Him for it. Father, we, we need it. We need to understand. We need to believe. We need to just know to the depths of our soul that you have been a blessing to us, that while we were your enemies, you laid down your life for us. Before you even came, somewhere in, in, in eternity past, there was a conversation between you, God the Father, and the Son, saying, we, we, we will be a blessing. Though they walked away, though they turned from us, we will go after them, and we will bless them. But in order to do that, Jesus would have to die in order to, for us to be blessed. And you did it anyway. What an incredible thing for us to know that you didn't even withhold your own life so that we could have the deep, rich, satisfying, eternal joy that comes from knowing you and being part of your family. God, make us that kind of people that would do that for others, even those who don't believe or may never believe what we believe. Empower us to do it by your spirit, we pray in Jesus' name. Amen.